Hey everybody, welcome back to another different church podcast. We are just ripping through the book of Revelation. Uh, We are on chapter 5 today. Um, I'm really surprised at how much I like this book now. I, I always kind of avoided it because anytime I thought of Revelation, I just thought of like weirdos who are like, you know, predicting the end is nigh and all that type of stuff. But yeah, this is a lot of fun and I think I have my... Uh, super awesome and cool co-host Hannah to thank for it. So Hannah, what's up? And thank you. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am. It is my favorite thing to make people like parts of the Bible that they didn't before. (laughs) It literally brings me so much happiness. So I am thrilled that you are enjoying Revelation. I think that's kind of like, it could almost be the mission of our church. Uh, and not just scripture, but like church as a whole, like, hey, you didn't like church? Well, guess what? Neither did we. Here's a better way to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so if you're listening along at home, hopefully you are having just as much fun as we are. And hopefully you're excited and ready to rock on chapter five. And you just want to jump in? Absolutely. So if you, the first section Revelation is, uh, Revelation chapter 5 is divided into two sections, so we'll have two kinds of pods of discussion today. The first one is verses 1 through 7, so if you could read that for us, Jarrett. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Amen. Now, this is a continuation, of course, of John's vision of the throne room. So we left off in chapter four with the creatures and the elders and everybody worshiping. So now, this is the next part of his vision of the throne room. So suppose, Jarrett, that you received a letter on the, t- an, on the envelope, in all caps, it says, to be opened by addressee only, but the addressee was not you. Would you open it? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> okay. Now suppose it said something else. So instead of saying to be opened by addressee only, what if it said to be opened only by the person who deserves to open it? Oh, I mean, I'm op- no matter what it says, I'm opening in that beast. <laughs> okay. Was the, would there be any situation where you wouldn't open it? <laughs> um, hmm. I, okay. So I'm being funny. But if I got a piece of mail at my house that wasn't addressed for me, I, would, I wouldn't open it. <laughs> but what if it said to be opened by the person who deserves to open it? That I would definitely open it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> This is the situation we have in this chapter. We're looking like through John's eyes, right? Into this heavenly throne room. And it's not 
just a like one long round of repetitive praise like it was in the last chapter. It's the throne room of God. So it's a project. It's going somewhere. There's work to be done. And in particular, the work that needs to be done is to rescue creation from all of the deadly dangers that have taken over it. And we have to overthrow these forces. And this will be probably a terrible task. <laughs> and we will be maybe afraid to take it up ourselves because it will be hard. And then, of course, we've made it all the more worse by being ourselves part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So this is the whole problem where we have this angel at the beginning in verse 2. God, who is the creator, has this scroll in his right hand. So think of like an architect with a design for a building or a general with a plan for his campaign. He has this plan to set everything back to right. And on the scroll, it's sealed with seven seven seals. So here's our next sequence of seven. And inside it, this scroll, of course, it's God's plan. It's God's secret plan to undo and overthrow all of these world-destroying projects. And that these projects have already gained so much ground. So God has to overthrow them and implement all of his world-rescuing projects, something that will get creation back on track in the right direction. But then the question is, is there anyone who deserves to open the scroll? Which, to put it more plainly, perhaps the question could be better phrased as, is there anybody who has not themselves contributed in some way to the problem of creation? (laughs) And, of course, the answer is no. (laughs) No, we all have contributed to the problems in creation. And John says in verse 3, Nobody, nobody was found. Nobody deserves to open the scroll. And then he starts weeping bitterly, it says. (laughs) That's, I mean, and think of the emotions of that. Like, the world is a mess. God has a plan to fix it. But nobody can read the plan. Because we've all messed up. (laughs) So essentially, John is like, the world's never going to be fixed. Like nobody deserves to open the scroll. We're never going to get the plan. And this is the end of the story. This is why he's weeping. Not because no one can open the scroll, but because that means if no one can read the plan, then it can't be implemented and the world will not be saved. It's like buying a piece of furniture from Ikea and you can't, I mean, I guess there aren't any directions to read anyway. It's all pictures, (laughs) but like maybe the pictures were like faded out or something. Right. Or you open the box and there's no instructions at all inside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just had one of my own moments there. Like it's possible if you were listening, you might've heard my, uh, like me hit my microphone or something. So I'm recording this in a little studio space that I share with my friend Jake and I, um, I, I like needed something to drink and I looked in our little mini fridge and he's got beer in there. And I, I pulled out a Corona (laughs) and I didn't have a, I didn't have a bottle opener, but, um, gosh, this is such a sidebar. My microphone is like a little broken. So I have it propped up with like a a Leatherman tool and I was like, oh sweet, there's definitely a bottle opener there. And so I had to pull it out and then it still took a little bit of effort to get it. But anyway, I'm now enjoying a Corona. Uh, I, apparently I was worthy to open it. I just needed the right tool. <laughs> yes. Sure. Good example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was so pointless. But now you can at least, you know, well, if now you the ever world wanted knows to have a beer. Well, now the world knows that you have wet your whistle. 
Yeah, and if you ever wanted to have a beer while talking about the Bible, consider this your permission. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, the fact that nobody in all of creation exists that deserves to open the scroll is a major problem. Now, we think it's a major problem because, gosh, the world's not going to be saved. But also it's a major problem because God committed back in Genesis to work inside creation through humans. That's how the entire world is set up to work. So for God then to say, well, humans clearly failed and screwed everything up, so I'll just do it some other way, would actually be to unmake the very structure of God's good creation and turn it into a different world entirely. Somebody has to be found to open the scroll. And Israel was supposed to be God's true humanity and put God's rescue rescue plan into operation. But Israel also failed and let God down, which gives God another dilemma. So first we have humans are supposed to be the ones who God accomplishes God's purposes through, and we screwed it up. And he's like, okay, we'll just pick a specific group of humans in the Israelites. And they didn't do so well either. So if God <laughs> says, well, Israel didn't do what I wanted them to do, so I'm going to have to cut off that bit of my plan, then it would look like God made a mistake or has been just flailing around with all these different ideas and none of them are working out. God constructed the world in such a way that God's plans for the world have to be executed by a human being. Meaning, God has determined to run the world through humans and to rescue the world through Israel. But humans and Israel have let God down <laughs> completely and totally. As we tend so, to do. Absolutely. So, I mean, it makes total sense that we find John in a puddle, like just crying his eyes out. Like he's just been faced with... All people are terrible, and also your people, <laughs> the Israelites, are terrible, and not a single person on the planet can open God's plan. Yeah. Also, by the way, including you, John. Mm-hmm. Including John, of course. <laughs> and it all just seems so hopeless and pointless, and John's just crying. Um, <laughs> but already, already this plan to wipe away the tears from eyes which we see in chapter 7 and we see again in chapter 21. This is this has begun. So one of the elders is like, don't cry. Look, here is one who can do it. And before we even follow John in looking, we know who it is. Yeah, obviously it's going to be a slaughtered lamb with horns. <laughs> well, it's the Messiah. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus looks is like the a one who can lamb. do it. Yeah. Right, but get, but notice the difference in what John sees and what he is invited to look at because everything is multidimensional here. So John, the elder says, look at the lion from the tribe of Judah. Oh, the yeah. The of David. Which, of course, I mean, this conjures up all kinds of prophecies in Scripture, like the Messiah is supposed to come from David's tribe, the tribe of Judah. Judah was described in Genesis as a lion's cub. Um, the root of David comes from this great messianic prophecy in Isaiah. And of course, just like you would expect of the true Messiah, we're told not just that he deserves to open the scroll, but actually that he won the victory. The Messiah, of course, was supposed to win this decisive battle against the last 
great enemy of God's people, liberating them forever. And the elder is like, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has already won the victory and he deserves to open the scroll. And then. Yeah, I saw a lamb. Yes. (laughs) He hears the announcement of the lion and he turns and sees the lamb. And of course, they seem radically different. Yeah. And that's kind of like a, a great example of what we've been talking about the whole time. Like. Yeah, heck yeah, Jesus wins. He conquers and he's victorious. But the way he does it isn't the way you would expect. Absolutely. And I mean, the lion is like this symbol of supreme power. And even the lion, we have the creature with the face of the lion in the last chapter, the king of the beasts. Um, but the lamb symbolizes vulnerability and weakness and death. And now... These two metaphors are going to be fused together forever. And I'm thinking, it reminds me of if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia and you think of Aslan, the lion, he doesn't turn into a lamb, obviously, but he is the king and he is the true leader, but he is the one who sacrifices himself and in doing so wins the victory in the battle. I feel like because you're being quiet, you have not read the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> I've only seen the movie, unfortunately. The movie? Oh, you haven't. Yeah, yeah. Multiple <laughs> movies. <laughs> I Yeah, I have seen all the movies. By the way, has a movie franchise ever fallen off a cliff like that one? <laughs> Probably. Gosh, but I don't want to think about it. They were really good, but the last one was so incredibly bad. How did mm-hmm. that happen? I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I do remember watching that movie and thinking, like, this is really terrible. But the the kid, the um, like the the prince, I think. I don't re- I don't even oh, remember his really character. Oh, the really nasty kid, Edward. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I remember him. Like, I was like, that kid was really good. And then, of course, he went on to like be in We're the Millers, and he's been in a bunch of stuff. And he's like an excellent actor. And I'm proud of my taste for being like, man, that was a terrible movie. But that actor was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, see, so C.S. Lewis is pretty fantastic. But also the imagery that we see in Chronicles of Narnia, some of it comes from Revelation. And that is, as we mentioned, like a way of using your imagination and intertwining it with scripture. It's such a fantastic exercise. Yeah, I was actually, um, the last podcast, I was going to bring up The Great Divorce, another C.S. Lewis book at some point. I don't remember what we were talking about specifically, but it made me think of something in The Great Divorce, which is like, um, it's like an allegorical kind of fictional imagining of what heaven and hell could be like. And uh, it's much shorter than reading the entire Chronicles of Narnia. If you want to start uh, with some C.S. Lewis, that's a cool place to start, but it's a totally different book. Like Narnia is like a, you know, Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Absolutely. And so uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were contemporaries. Um, and they they just are fantastic writers, like just these epic. Some people, I don't know if you were the right age for this, but like uh, we were definitely in my house allowed to read Lord of the Rings because <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian, but we were not allowed to read <laughs> Harry Potter because that's obviously the devil <laughs> and there's <laughs> magic in it even though there's yeah. intense magic and all kinds of stuff happening in lord of the rings and chronicles of narnia too but yeah. for some reason the christian community understood that those were metaphorical um 
and that things like Harry Potter or something like that would was not metaphorical. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It was just leading a, children into a pit of witchcraft. Right. It's just always just been an interesting dichotomy to me. And obviously, yeah. I've fallen off the wagon because I have a Dementor from Harry Potter tattooed on my leg. <laughs> so I'm pretty dedicated. But oh. in my defense, I also have the Eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings. So, you know, you yeah. got both sides. Yeah. Yeah. You have an epic leg piece. I do. Yeah. I don't normally I- say epic in relation to myself, but that is one one thing in my life that I can say is epic. Yeah. And if it makes you feel better, you didn't do it. So... That's true. Yeah. You have your, your artists to think. What by the way, what a like obvious representation of us versus them mentality. Two authors who write books that are basically mirror images of each other. And it's like, oh yeah, read this one because a Christian wrote it. Don't read that one. It's exactly the same, but it wasn't written by us. Right. And C. S. Lewis, if you think about him, like wouldn't be accepted in a lot of Christian circles today. Because he smoked cigars constantly and, like, drank whiskey and swore like a sailor. Like, he he had a rich and storied life before he found faith or before faith found him, perhaps. I think his famous metaphor is that he was searching for God, but it might as well have been a mouse in search of a cat. Like, he was the one who was caught in the trap the whole time. Hmm. Um, but he, because of his life choices, which weren't a big deal then there they he would definitely like as a christian not be accepted sometimes and he's one of our amazing philosophers and theologians of the past couple of centuries so i don't know i don't know why we're on this tangent but yeah christians rule (laughs) the story the stories that come out of good versus evil these are human stories now of course there can be more biblical influence in some stories than in others but people have been telling these stories since the dawn of time and good versus evil right versus wrong the oppressors versus the oppressed like this is a human thing this is why we have so many movies about it you're sounding very joseph campbell-ish you better be careful over there (laughs) i'll do christians love to hate that guy too (laughs) we'll keep moving (laughs) i don't want to incite (laughs) hate mail (laughs) But, but just to be clear i don't hate joseph campbell i think he's awesome cool Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the lion. We hear the lion. John sees the lamb. And from this moment on, John is supposed to understand, just like we are, that this victory won by the lion, the king, is accomplished only through the sacrifice of the lamb. No other way. Now, what is the victory that has been won? So it Ooh, is. Good question. Through, Jesus was essentially the embodiment of Israel as a person. So through Israel in one person, through humanity in one person, Jesus, the victory was won over all the forces of corruption and death and anything that would destroy and obliterate God's good and powerful and beautiful creation. So we boil that down generally to Jesus won the victory over death, but that's not the only thing that Jesus won the victory over. Jesus won the victory over anything that would destroy and obliterate God's beautiful creation. And of course, as we listen and look at this metaphor, we see that the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which is essentially to say he is all powerful because the horn is a symbol of power and all seeing. 
this person, this lamb slash lion has the right to take the scroll and open it and everything else will follow from that. Cool. So we move on to verse eight and we will read to the end, which is verse 14. Um, And we're going to pick up with him actually taking the scroll. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the lamb. It sounds very similar to one of our three church services that we've ever had in the history of the world. Yeah, it just like, it builds and builds (laughs) and builds. And like, like, just imagine like if you're in a theater or something, or not like a movie theater, maybe like a, where an opera or a play would take place. And you, so it's dark and you're sitting there and a drum starts and then it builds and louder and louder and then voices are joining in and they're singing and it's beautiful and music is happening and instruments are joining in and it all gets louder and louder and then the lights come on and the musicians join in and the orchestra is swelling and it's this whole experience and you've never seen this play before but you're kind of swept along with it. And then you're waiting for the actors to come out. But you're the actor. (laughs) That's when you discover (laughs) you're the one. And that's what John is hinting at in this scene. We're listening to the music so that we can get on stage, whether we're ready or not, and play our part. It's there in the opening of the music that he describes. So, And I think that people overlook this, and I think it's one of the most beautiful things in Revelation. Um. All of the elders at the beginning in verse 8 had a harp, and they each held gold bowls filled with incense, which are what? What does it say these bowls are filled with? The prayers of God's people. Yes. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And (laughs) they sang a song with the word. Oh, sorry. Never mind. I read that wrong. Yeah. They sang a new song with these words. Um, But certainly in some way, those prayers influenced the words. Yeah. Good point. Um, the, remember that heaven and earth are linked and heaven is the ultimate reality, but we think sometimes that prayer, I think it's easy to think that prayer doesn't really work, which I know some people get really offended by that. I will say I'm in both camps. I have seen prayer do miraculous things. So I know in deep in my heart that prayer actually works. However, (laughs) at some points in my life, I'm also like, does this even work though? (laughs) Yeah, Which maybe yeah. isn't a good thing for a pastor to admit, but I think like we have a duty to be honest. Like every once yeah. in a while, I'm like, does this even doing anything? Yeah. How many times do I have to repeat this? Is there like a magic number? 
right. Like, can God even hear me? Is this, does this even matter? And in Revelation, we have a very clear picture that yes, the ordinary, <laughs> humble, faithful prayers of Christians on earth actually appear in heaven, in heaven as this glorious, sweet-smelling perfume offering. In a golden before bowl. Before God. In a golden bowl. And the same seems true of the music because we have the heavenly harps corresponding to the harps on earth. Um, however sad or feeble or out of tune <laughs> our music may be, um, <laughs> we sing God's praise and yet it shows up in heaven as well. And then in the there's three songs in this passage. So the first song, we find that the lamb is being praised, not just for rescuing us, but from turning us from slaves to a kingdom of priests. So this is the point of the play that we're supposed to be part of. Rags to riches. We're, <laughs> we, are, we have been saved from a life of crime or whatever. I mean, you can insert any kind of metaphor there. And so this first song is praising the lamb for rescuing a people by his death so that they could then take forward God's royal and redemptive purposes to the wider world. So this royal and redemptive purposes, this is the kingdom of priests. Like think of it as royal ambassadors to the world. None of us could open the scroll because we all screwed it up. But Jesus is going to open the scroll. And then with the commitment that God has structured the world to be run by humans, we are going to get to enact those purposes on the world. Which of course echoes this rescue people from death, right? This is echoes Exodus. And in Revelation, you will see a lot of echoes of Exodus over and over. And it echoes some apocalyptic language in Daniel 7, where God is establishing rule over the whole earth. And this happens through the people who belong to the Most High God. That's cool. Do you think, is it worth like taking a second? I really think verse um, 10 is really cool. Uh, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. Like mm -hmm. what does, what does that mean? Like why, what is, what is the priest significant of for us? Well, for one thing, it takes away the barrier. So anyone who believes now has direct access to God. So in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, you you had very limited access to God. And the only person who actually had true access to God was the high priest who could do it once a year from the Holy of Holies in the temple. But now that Jesus has won this victory, God can be accessed anywhere by anyone. So in yeah. that sense, we are priests. Um, but in another sense, priests are the one who ones who share God's purposes with the world, right? Just think of pastors or, like I said, ambassadors from, a, like if we had a United States ambassador, they're trying to enact purposes of the United States in another part of the world. And that is what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be ruling with God. We are a kingdom of priests. So there is not any one person who can say that they have the exclusive right to communicate with God on our behalf. Oh, Everybody yeah. who believes has the cool... right to communicate with God. That's a cool twist to that. Like I was definitely thinking like, hey, now we have direct access to God and there, there's no barrier between us and him. But to think about it like no one can tell us like, hey, no, no. I Like if you really want to know God and talk to him, I got to do it for you. Like you can't be don't be deceived by that anymore. That's not true. Right. 
But we cool. have the same responsibility to take that access to other people. Yeah, and, and just let them the know, world. yeah, hey, you, you can have it too. Yes. Now, so the first song, we're praising the lamb for the rescue. This miraculous, crazy rescue. The second song, the first song is sung by the 24 elders only. The second song is joined with um, voices. It says thousands and millions of angels. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny beings. way to say that. I know. Like, why wouldn't you just say all of them? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, are there some angels who are not participating? I don't know. <laughs> but this song kind of changes in theme. So the first song talks about what the lamb has achieved. But this song is about what the lamb deserves, which is the honor and glory. All the honor and glory of which creation is capable of giving. Um, everything that enriches human life. Everything that enables people to live wisely Everything that allows people to enjoy and celebrate the goodness of God's world, all of this is belongs to Jesus and should be laid down at his feet. Now, that might be hard to wrap our minds around, but like think of it in this way. A lot of people are we are pretty content to have Jesus around for spiritual purposes, but we assign our riches and power and glory to earthly forces and rulers. God is just for our spiritual well-being. It doesn't have any it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with our physical life. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Which is of course what Revelation is saying is that's not okay. <laughs> Everything <laughs> that is good and enables you to live your life well belongs to Jesus. Yeah. And then finally we have a third song the first song the elders sang, the second song, we've got millions of angels. Yeah, everybody and sings the third one. Everybody, every creature in every part of God's creation is joining in. And just so like the swell is building. Like by the end of this, <laughs> the music is so loud, it's probably the only thing you could think or hear. There would be nothing else. It would be like being at a concert of thousands of people with everybody singing the words at once. That's and cool. this is where we, yeah, it's really exciting. It like gives me goosebumps. But we note the most important thing of all, which is it says blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever, which that's the most important thing to note. The lamb shares the praise which belongs to the one and only God. John is not just saying he did a good job defeating death as a human and he deserves to open the scroll. He's he's reiterating in the most theatrical way possible that Jesus is God and human. Yeah. Yeah. And then the four living eyeball creatures agree as well as the tribes of Israel and the uh, 12 disciples. Yeah, and the millions of angels and every creature on the earth. Yeah, they're like, totally. <laughs> Everybody. It's not enough to just agree in the abstract that in some sense or another, Jesus is God. Like, God is, in Revelation, we get this picture of God as a creator who is intimately involved with the world and is worshipped by that world. So God has this plan to deliver the world from everything that ruins it and spoils it 
And it's at the heart of those plans that we find this lion slash lamb who <laughs> is God, but who is also human, right? So we have a lion and a lamb and we have God and a human existing in one thing. Yeah, another and paradox. being praised. Exactly. Very cool. And then that's the end of the music for the chapter. <laughs> it just ends there, like on the highest possible note and the highest possible swell of noise. Because you can't get any, you can't get bigger than that. Yeah, than every being in the universe. Mm-hmm. And the, basically the conductor is just like, and scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, now what, guys? <clears throat> anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> so did you ever that's read chapter five. The, um, did you ever read the, um, what was it? I think it might have been the Silmarillion. It was one of those like extra books in the Tolkien mythology. Um, and it had basically like the creation story of like how Middle Earth was created. No. So it's so cool. Um, it's a song. And it talks about um, all of like the gods of that, you know, realm or whatever. They're all singing together and like creating. And then there was this one angel who um, I think his name was Melkor. And he was like, you know, proud and he wanted to be noticed more than the other angels. And so he started singing like, you know, a different melody. And it was like dissonant to what everybody else was doing and then that was like kind of how evil was like introduced and then of course he's kicked out and it's this whole like total parallel of like kind of what we see in our um in our own like kind of creation myths but like you can totally see he was he was like definitely gaining inspiration from some of this sort of stuff in in revelation uh it's funny how big of a deal music is you know i know it's Music is, again, just like these powerful stories of good and evil, universal. Yeah, yeah, totally. So maybe go listen to some good music after this podcast. <laughs> Let's close with Nickelback. <laughs> That's not, I said good music. <laughs> okay, Hoobastank. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go now? I don't know <laughs> if I can continue this podcast with you, Jarrett. I thought I knew you. <laughs> Depart from me. I never knew you. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes that I do all the time. It's a quote from The League whenever you're like standing around your friends and you're at a bar or something. It's like, hey, guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to go put on five bucks for the Hoobastank in the jukebox. And um, <laughs> I think it's hilarious and nobody ever laughs, but whatever. It makes me laugh. Well, I don't know that that many people have seen the league. I have seen the league, but I don't remember that part. <laughs> also, is there even such a thing as five bucks worth of Hoobastank? I only know the one song. I don't know. I mean, if you're a big fan of Hoobastank or Nickelback, well, we, I mean, you do you. We're definitely not going to judge you. I'm just judging Jarrett specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and I expect he would do the same for me if I said that. Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, this episode is definitely called Hoobastank and Nickelback. <laughs> yep. And they're going to have to listen all the way to the end to find out. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but there you go. Yeah. I mean, the uh, point is, music is universal. Yeah. Speaks to our souls. Yeah. And I can't wait to uh, tapping into that. I can't wait to see what the next chapter holds. I feel like this chapter was kind of like a drum roll. And yes. now we'll see what happens in chapter six. 
Yes, we will. It will be very exciting. Cool. Well, I am excited to talk to you then. Uh, I'm excited for everybody to listen along with us. Thank you so much. Uh, if you like what we're doing, hit us up on social media, Diff Church, or shoot us an email, hello at diffchurch.com. Alrighty, thank you for being here, friends, and we will talk soon. Bye.